welcome to Raw the Podcast with Emma and Amy, where we talk real and raw with mamas who have had to fight and be fierce, who have been thrown curveballs and faced adversity. We discuss everything from premature birth and NICU life to special needs and infant loss. Nothing is off topic. We hope that by opening up and being vulnerable, we can break down the walls and start to remove some of the shame and stigma associated with these traumatic experiences while helping other mamas feel less alone. I'm Emma, a rural living mum to two Premie and medically complex girls, Hazel Earthside and our warrior Willow up in the stars. And I'm Amy, special needs and medical mama to Premie boys James and Jack and a fierce advocate for the Premie and special needs community. We don't share your average mama stories and this isn't your average podcast. Raw is unrefined and breaks through the bullshit of navigating guilt, grief and trauma. I mean, let's be honest, we've been through more shit than some could ever imagine. So at this point, we don't really have a filter. But with this being said, please note, we do talk about sensitive topics in our episodes, which we know can be distressing. We give this warning simply to empower you, our audience, with the knowledge you need to make healthy decisions about how and if you should consume this podcast content. Please take care of yourselves and don't hesitate to ask for help if you need it. And lastly, let us assure you that it's not all bad and sad. Above all, we hope to shine a light on the life-changing perspective and appreciation that only these experiences can give you. We share the overwhelming joys and triumphs that our little miracles, both here and in heaven, bring to our lives. And we discuss the inspiration and hope we have gained from this community. While our experiences are individually unique, we are forever a part of something truly special. A community of fierce mama bears and their cubs navigating the storm. And together we'll roar. Well, here we are. Welcome everybody to our very first podcast of Roar. We're so excited to finally be doing this. Well, twice in a row, Amy, do you want to? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I um, Our first go, I had... Well, yeah, I had my microphone the wrong way, I'll be honest. Um, we can barely hear secret. you. Yeah. We recorded like an hour and 15 minutes and afterwards we're like, why can't we hear Amy? Hmm. Anyway, I was actually just telling Emma about um, getting my eyebrows done today. I got them microbladed. Earlier today I was having to set an alarm for every hour to put, no, to clean my eyebrows for four hours and then I had to put special cream on it. It's harder than having it's a li- child. It's literally like having a medically complex child. Medically complex eyebrows. My <laughs> is eyebrows your alarm are... off now, Amy? It is. I can sleep tonight. <laughs> oh, let the eyebrows rest. At least tonight now I have gin. Gin. So I'm set. Well, mm. bugger. I, I didn't like I quite get there. It. That's okay. <laughs> next time yeah (laughs) all right (laughs) so first episode we are going to talk about you Emma and get to know your story yay (laughs) um a few of you probably know a little bit about Emma's story from our social medias I'm guessing a few of you have come from um following us so hopefully you'll learn something a little bit new today and even I will learn something a little bit new about Emma and her story so ready to get started I think I'm as ready as I will ever be, Ames. <laughs> right. Given that this is the second go, we might not have as many tears. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I can't make any promises. <laughs> um, I just want to throw in here that we'll be telling the story of um, 
Willow, who is no longer here. Um, so we'll be talking about sudden infant death, some trauma and grief, and there'll also be some mental health triggers. So please remember um, to look after yourselves and turn this off if it gets a bit too much. And I do want to take a moment to dedicate this episode um, to a very special little girl, Willow Maybone, whose star now shines brightly in the sky. Willow, you live on so fiercely in our hearts and we will never stop saying your name and honouring your short but precious life. So why don't we start with um, telling us about um, your first gorgeous daughter, Hazel, who is now three. Yeah, so she'll be four in May. Um, She is a firecracker. Um, She was our first, obviously. Um, She gave us the joy of becoming parents for the very first time. Um, But we didn't have... The normal experience with her, obviously, um, she was born prematurely at, at 34 weeks um, due to a placental abruption. So um, I experienced quite a healthy pregnancy um, and then had quite heavy bleeding suddenly um, and pain um, in my tummy. It was all very foreign to me. I had no idea what I was experiencing. Um, it was at night time. Dylan was at footy training. Well, uh, drinking beers at with the, the boys pub. more <laughs> like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so obviously I told him to come home and things just sort of went from bad to worse really, really quickly. Uh, We were advised to get to a major hospital. Um, I live rurally in Kimber, which is six hours away from Adelaide. Um, Our closest major hospital is Port Augusta, which is about an hour and a half. Uh, So we decided to get in the car under advice of the midwives from Flinders and drive to Port Augusta, um, where I was very quickly flown to Adelaide on the Royal Flying Doctor. And so was Dylan able to come with you on the flight? No, he wasn't. So for many reasons, mainly because there wasn't room, like the rural flying doctor planes are so small um, and we had no baby stuff prepared. So he drove back to Kimber, started packing up all the baby things, a baby bag, everything I needed, and he started the six-hour drive to Adelaide while I was heading over on the plane um, to Flinders. Yeah, wow. So then you obviously arrived at Flinders and um, was Hazel born pretty quickly? I think it all gets so blurry, especially when you've been through the same experience twice. But I think it was a few hours later. um, Obviously, you don't want to deliver a baby at 34 weeks. So... They just wanted to sit and watch, try and control my pain for a few hours. But unfortunately, the pain just got worse. The bleeding wouldn't stop. At one point, the bleeding was so bad, there was just sheets everywhere. So things were going downhill pretty quickly. Um, And then the alarm started going off on the machines next to me. And I was like, holy shit, what's going on now? really naive to the situation, never been in anything like that before, never had a baby, never been in labour and all these doctors and nurses sort of started running in and they just said to me, your baby's heart rate has dropped out 
and I started to go really pale, really clammy and my heart rate started to drop as well just because I was just losing so much blood and they just said we need to take, like we need to have this baby now and I remember just saying, all right, like I'll start pushing, give me what I need to have so that I can start pushing and birth this baby and they said, no, we're taking you for an emergency caesarean. So I had a bit of a quick chat with my mum and I just said, Dylan is going to freak out if he knows what's going on. I don't want him to worry. I just want him to get here safe. So I grabbed my phone and I just sent him a really quick text message and I just said, I'm just, I'm really tired. I'm going to have a sleep now and I'll message you when I wake up. Love you. And then they just started wheeling me down the corridor to the theatre and I was put to sleep and before I knew it, I was waking up in recovery and I'd had Hazel. So Dylan had obviously missed her birth. Um, what happened next? Obviously you experienced the NICU journey. Yeah, so Dylan ended up arriving when I was back up on the ward Uh, he still had no idea what had happened. So I just remember him walking in. I had the nasal prongs on, um, delivering oxygen. And he just said, what's the matter with you? Like thinking something was wrong because I'd had the oxygen. And I just said to him that we've, we've had the baby and we had a little girl and he just started to cry uh, and asked when we could go see her. Obviously when a baby's taken into the NICU and also when you've had an emergency cesarean at the same time, you can't just pop off your bed and just walk down and go see the baby. She was being helped. She was being weighed. She was having bloods done and I was in so much pain as well. So I think it was two or three hours before they actually allowed us to go down. The nurse wheeled me down in on my bed. I was on a morphine drip trying to control my pain and we were wheeled into this big room full of babies and she said this one's yours and we said that's Hazel and we were able to put our little hands into the the holes of the isolate and hold her hand and I remember I was just crying so much and the nurse came over and took her out of the isolate and just looked at me and said don't tell anybody like you've got 30 seconds and she laid her down we were able to get a few photos and then they took her back away and put her back in the isolate and that sort of started her short but still very emotional NICU stay. Yep. So being obviously being born at 34 weeks, um, her journey was, I remember you saying not, it was sort of like a textbook journey. So she didn't really have um, yeah many of the complications yeah. that some premies have. So how long did she stay in the NICU? I think she was in there... They expect when they're born at 34 weeks, they expect them to come out at around 38, 40 weeks gestation, so closer to term. I think she ended up coming out at about 37 weeks. So she spent about three weeks in the NICU. Uh, We were able to be discharged on what they called the NEDS program, which is a neonatal early discharge. So she got discharged with her, her feeding tubes still intact, which she was fed through in its entirety. Um... So, yeah, we were able to go and stay in Adelaide for a few days before the nurses allowed us to start the long drive home. And obviously, after having one premature baby, there's always the fear and anxiety of having another. 
Um, so tell us a little bit about um, getting pregnant with your second little girl, Willow, and the pregnancy that you experienced with her. Yeah, so we planned to have Willow. We uh, got married in October. We went on a very short two or three day stay at a shack. Dylan got gastro, I got gastro, and somehow between those two gastro catastrophes, we conceived our darling Willow. Well, she was meant to be, um, wasn't she? <laughs> Clearly, I've never been so sick in my life. Anyways, let's not. <laughs> yeah. Um, she, I had a shit pregnancy with her from about 12 weeks with multiple bleeding episodes, leaking fluids. I was flown from Kimber to Adelaide multiple times. I almost miscarried multiple times. We were just lucky to sort of get to the 20 week stage which they call sort of the safe stage where they can intervene and I was pumped with steroids to try and help her grow Um, and from 20 weeks I was pretty much on restricted activities with her which is hard with a toddler Mm. I was supposed to lay in bed a lot not walk too much not overexert myself whilst look after a little (laughs) crazy hurricane of a two-year-old so it was yeah it was really tough but we just um I wanted to get her to a safe point and I figured that we'd got Hazel to 34 weeks and we would hopefully be able to do the same with Willow yeah but that obviously wasn't the case no so um the bleeding sort of continued throughout the pregnancy but was controlled um but one I can't remember if it was during the day or the night, I started having quite intense cramping in my stomach that sort of spread into my legs and into my back and I started bleeding again. Um, it wasn't a heavy type of uh, blood but it was it was heavy enough to be concerned about. So I called my midwife in Adelaide um, and she just said, just try and keep an eye on it. Like I didn't want to be flown to Adelaide again and then taken straight back to Kimber and it was just something that had just obviously I had to deal with um but it got worse so Dylan said right let's just get in the shower and see if that sort of helps settle your pain and freshen yourself up and I remember being in the shower and having like an intense cramp and I passed something at that stage I obviously didn't know what it was it was quite large and I just thought to myself right that's it I've miscarried I've lost this baby at 28 weeks and we were taken up to the Kimber hospital at this point the bleeding was really intense and I was cramping in quite severe pain so I was flown from Kimber um, airstrip straight to Adelaide and yeah so unfortunately at the Kimber Hospital, they don't have the Dopplers to tell, like, to find the baby's heartbeat. So it wasn't until I was on the plane um, on the way to Adelaide that the doctor was able to sort of scan over my tummy. And amazingly, we heard that incredible sound of a heartbeat. So I knew she was still intact. Um, I was obviously still in a lot of pain and I was bleeding, but that was just the norm for me at that stage. And I just figured that it would ease off and then I'd be sent back to Adelaide, back to Kimber. But 
Unfortunately, that wasn't the case. Uh, we landed. Um, so I don't know if people know this, but you don't actually land at the hospital, which is something that I thought because clearly we went in a helicopter. <laughs> we were in a plane. Um, you actually land at the airport and then an ambulance comes and ferries you from the airport and then takes you to the hospital. When I was in the ambulance on the way to the hospital, I bled out completely. I couldn't stay still. I was in so much pain. The pain relief they were giving me just wasn't cutting it. So pretty much when we got to Flinders, well, when I got to Flinders, Dylan unfortunately wasn't there again due to COVID. They had restrictions on who could go on the plane. Um, So I was on my own. My mum met me at the hospital And we went in and they said, right, you're having a C-section pretty much. But the anesthesiologist came in and he actually gave me the choice on whether I wanted to be awake or I wanted to be asleep. Obviously, I was asleep for Hazel. um, So I had this inkling that I did want to be awake. And I just remember him saying to me that it might not be pretty if you're awake. You might not want to see what comes out and you might not want to see what happens like they are memories that you might not want to have so I decided to be put to sleep again um, which is the strangest thing and then woke up in recovery deja vu Mm -hmm. and we'd had willow at 28 weeks. Obviously that was a pretty bloody scary time being on your own um having another premie even earlier than your first um so willow's journey obviously mm-hmm. wasn't as i guess stress-free as hazel's in the NICU yeah 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 so i suppose at this stage when a baby's born at 28 weeks, we're so lucky with modern medicine. There is so much that they can do, but there's still not that guarantee that they're they're going to make it. So the first few days to a week are, are vital in um, keeping them alive. So we have the most incredible photos and I didn't even know that they were taken. Our beautiful midwife took my phone into the C-section and actually took photos of her Um, not coming out of my stomach so you can't see my stomach but her when the doctor took over and her being intubated and her in this tiny little sack which replicates the uterus so she was intubated had a breathing tube um, which was pretty much keeping her alive and then when she was stable she was transferred down to intensive care where she spent quite a lot of time and she was on quite a turbulent up and down journey um we ended up spending about, I think it was about 70 days in total before we were able to be discharged. So definitely a very different experience than what we had with Hazel. But at the end of the day, we got to leave with our baby. And at that point, that's all that, that really mattered to us. Yeah. So this is actually where we first sort of officially met you and I personally, um, when Willow was in hospital. Yes. Yep. So I put a little bit of a shout out on my Miracle Mama stories for someone to trial out some new beanies that I wanted to get in stock for Premier Babies and Emma popped into my inbox. So I sent you guys um, a pink beanie for you to sort of trial and check the fit Mm -hmm. on Willow and send me some photos and I'll never forget when you sent through that photo of her in that pink beanie. Um, I'm pretty oh, sure it was. I know. Yeah. I was so excited. You said it was the cutest thing. That was actually the first bit of, 
that was the first bit of clothing that she ever actually wore and it was way too big for her but I insisted every time that I got there and I was able to get her out of her isolate she had that beanie yeah. on whether it was hot cold the poor kid wore the freaking pink beanie. We'll, um, we'll have to pop a photo up on our socials after this. So cute the little white fluffy on <laughs> top ball. just divine the best. What sort of supports did you use in the NICU? So you obviously found Miracle Mama um, and being so, it's such mm-hmm. an isolating place, NICU, especially, you know, you were five hours from home with Hazel at home, um, COVID. Mm-hmm. Bloody bitch of a <laughs> thing. I know. And that wasn't even like nothing compared to what it is now, like what those poor mums are going no. through at the moment. But um, I know. Yeah, you're literally spending your days in hospital with no mm-hmm. outside sort of social connections and um yeah it's pretty rough yeah i mean and it's hard i think you go into survival mode as well um i knew that this is what i had to do and it was just me that could do it i was pumping 3 hourly i was um sterilizing i was trying to sleep i was also dealing with the recovery of having a c section which is something that people don't realize how hard it is to have a c-section and recover from a c-section so I was in immense pain I was very uncomfortable I was six hours away from my my daughter who I'd never spent time away from before my husband my family um so yeah definitely finding miracle mama and also there's lots of pages on Facebook for NICU parents and micro prems and um Flinders have some great support groups but I think mostly you find family in the nurses and the doctors you you spend especially in ICU there's a very small rotation of of about three or four nurses that look after that one bay so you get to know them and they get to know you and during a time where we weren't allowed to have family come in and Hazel wasn't allowed to come in they were definitely the people that I lent on the most. And um, I also made some beautiful friendships with other mums as well, which was really helpful. Yeah, it's so true. So in, yeah, in hospital, you're spending, you know, you can spend eight or 10 hours a day with the nurses and the doctors and the staff in there and they Mm. become like your, your biggest support and your family and you really do lean on them a lot. And it's, we were saying earlier how, um, you know, when you're in NICU and you're stuck in the same spot for a long time when your baby's quite unwell and you you see all these other families sort of moving forward into you know special care and going home and it can be quite um yeah I guess you know frustrating for yourself even though you're happy for them so you said that you found some friends so that was um absolutely support especially when you're I think like initially it's just this shock and trauma and you're like just in your own little world but as you move forward, you do, you, yeah. you sort of start chatting to the people yeah. around you and making friends with those people. And I know that you've still got friends that you still speak to quite frequently from, from hospital. I do. Yeah. I've, I was very lucky, um, with the group of ladies that I was able to meet, but I think it's also very emotionally draining. Like you said, you're not only comparing yourself to them and their journeys whether they're breastfeeding bottle feeding gavage feeding like I was doing through the tube but you're also especially in ICU you're taking on it's I don't know who's been in an ICU before for babies but not a whole lot a lot goes on but it's very quiet Mm -hmm. and you don't 
it's you take in not only your story but the story of the other three babies that are in there so not only are you taking your trauma but the trauma of everything around you as well it's it's a very daunting it's a different world isn't it it was certainly nice to have mums to yeah yeah and when you go through a hospital it's all different but as soon as you swipe your card at the front of those NICU doors it's just like walking into a different planet sometimes I think and it that's is. what it feels it's like. World. No, I've always said it. It's another world you, you can't understand until you've experienced it. Like you can try and describe it to someone a hundred yeah. times over, but like you just, yeah, yeah. you can't explain no. it until yeah. you've been, been there. Yeah. All right. So um, obviously Willow eventually left hospital and came home to Kimber. Um, this was sort of short-lived, unfortunately, and then it, began the turbulent medical journey that she was thrust upon um, with multiple trips back and forth from hospital again. So this is the part where I'm going to try and not cry. <laughs> um, so everything was going okay. We sort of came home. Um, we were still tube feeding Willow. So still having an abnormal experience with a baby. Um, when she finally started latching onto the bottle, um, and we were able to take the tube out. I think she ended up having the tube out for two weeks in her whole life, um, which was pretty exciting. So I got to have that bonding experience of sitting and um, feeding her the bottle and I was still pumping um, milk. Um, but then she just started to go downhill and not downhill in a way where you'd think that they were sick, but she was really clingy Um you'd put her to the floor and she'd start crying. Um, I was just carrying her 24-7. She started refusing her bottles or just only taking 20 or 30 meals. Um, She was vomiting a lot. Um, So we went back and forth over sort of Zoom with the doctors and just like, what do we do? Um, Is there something that we can do? And they said, just keep going. Like she's still putting on weight. Um, Just keep doing what you're doing and we'll reassess um so anyways one day I was at home um I was giving her a bottle um Dylan wasn't home Hazel was and she just went blue she just went blue floppy her arms just went down and she just went fully unresponsive um just mid-drinking so obviously I jumped in the car and took her up to the hospital. By the time we'd gotten to the hospital, she was still quite blue and pale, but she was breathing again. Um, so obviously that started our journey. Um, we were flown to Adelaide um, and we're at the Women's and Children's. Um, we had multiple investigations. Um, she was back and forth, uh, blood tests, all that sort of stuff. She was retubed, um, feeding tube, sorry, yep. But what sort of started our journey? Um, when she had a test, it was called a barium swallow. Um, and it just shows where the fluid is going as they're drinking it. So they lay lay the baby down over like a fancy x-ray machine and they get the baby to drink something and then they can watch the dye going down the, the stomach and see where it goes Um And they could see that she was aspirating. So her fluid was going down, but then it was actually coming back up and it was sitting in her lungs. And she had quite a severe level of this 
to the point where they stopped the test and said, right, no more fluids in that baby, like it's unsafe. Um, so at this point forwards, there's not a whole lot they could do for her, for her, apart from we just had to keep tube feeding her. She was to be nothing by mouth. Um, so we did that for a few days in hospital and she had no episodes of lifelessness again. So we got to bring her home and then she started doing it again. Um, she, even with the tube feeds, she would just start going blue. She would go floppy. Um, she would vomit. So the tube would come out of her mouth and then she would just stop breathing. Um, so yeah, then it was back, back to the women's and children's and back for more tests and investigations. So, yeah, so this was a lot of back and forth from hospital again. I know you had multiple um, admissions. And then Mm -hmm. in between all of this, you actually fell pregnant. Yeah, so we have never really actually spoken to many people about this. I think it kind of got put on the back burner a lot throughout Willow's journey but we unexpectedly fell pregnant um it was just before Christmas I think that we found out I was feeling really off and I took a pregnancy test and it was positive I just remember we both just cried and I just said how are we going to do this and how can we look after another little soul and still look after Willow um but it settled. We started to get really, really excited and we told family and friends and I think we were just so optimistic for just a normal experience and I just craved a normal pregnancy and a normal birth and to breastfeed and all that sort of stuff. Um, But yeah, unfortunately, New Year's Day, I experienced my first miscarriage, um, which, yeah, was very unexpected and you don't ever think it's going to happen to you. Um, But, yeah, like I said, it was definitely put on the back burner. I think the only people we told that I'd had a miscarriage was my mum and my dad and everyone else must have just assumed because we were no longer pregnant or um, we just never spoke about it again. So There's so much, so much trauma happening in in one you know space of time like you wouldn't have even yeah, had the yeah like to have the mental capacity and emotional capacity to even you know grieve that pregnancy no, and yeah like even just to deal yeah. with it and the, yeah, yeah. Um, between everything you were going through yeah I don't even think I cried like I remember going to the doctors and then taking a blood test and then it coming back and they said yeah hate like your levels had gone down and I just said oh okay then yeah which is really sad because I I also then think what if that baby did come into our life then and we wouldn't have had the space for it but then you're also still grieving the loss of a life so it, it was very much so mixed emotions there just was no that yeah there was so so little space for you to take all of that like the grief and the trauma of a miscarriage on top of everything you were going through so yeah yeah it's a lot yeah. it's a lot so um after that came Willow's surgery. So everyone was very hopeful mm-hmm. that this would be a fresh start for Willow. Um, you had to sort of advocate for this surgery and fight hard to get it to happen. But um, it helped initially, didn't it? Yeah. So she had um, a Nissen fund application, which is a mouthful. Um, but 
basically <laughs> they tie off a part of the esophagus, sorry, the top of the throat to stop the fluid from going back up. So what they thought essentially was happening was because there couldn't have been milk that was coming up because her milk wasn't going into her stomach with the tube that she had. So it must have been actually her own secretions, her own um, liquid that was in her mouth that was causing her to do it. So they were like, right, let's tie the top of the esophagus here and see if that helps. Um, And then at the same time, she had a peg inserted, which is a... um, a port in the tummy Um, it kind of just looks like if you haven't seen one before it looks like if you blow up a pool toy (laughs) and you've got that little blow thing that you blow into and it has the cap on it it just looks like that so it's a tube that you just screw in and the the milk just goes through that with the pump Um, so after a lot of um, back and forth and a lot of cancelled surgeries we were finally able to to get it for her and she was a new baby um she was a lot happier she was taking her feeds well um she wasn't having any of these episodes that in the lead up to the surgery she was having multiple times a day sometimes three or four times a day to the point where she was unconscious for minutes where she was being resuscitated so we thought that everything was good she I think they made her stay four or five days at the hospital after she'd had the surgery just to prove that she wasn't having them anymore. And then we stayed at the Ronald McDonald House, which is right near the Women's and Children's Hospital for a few more days and things were smooth. So they gave us the okay to travel back to Kimber again. Yes. (laughs) So Willow's surgery was in March. Um, and then you obviously went mm-hmm. um, home to Kimber once again. You were home for about a month. So the next month in April, just a day before Willow's first birthday, you lost her quite suddenly. Yeah. So um, we were able to, um, we had a birthday party. Um, Hazel was turning three and Willow was turning one. Um, so we had a bunch of our friends over. Um, to the house my mum and dad came over from Adelaide um, and we had pepper pig cake and we celebrated and we sung happy birthday and she was just the star of the show she um, well she slept for most of it um, but when she came out she didn't stop smiling she was in a beautiful dress and we were just so excited that we had reached this milestone with her um, Sometimes I wonder if she knew, like she knew she just had to give us that. She just had to hold on until we'd had that party and we got to, the joy in our faces looking back on those photos, you can just see in our eyes how proud we were to be her parents. Um, And some of our friends had never met her before because she'd just spent so much time in hospital. So, yeah, that's still one of my most favourite memories of her and us as a family. Um, But then, yeah, mum and dad left um, and I don't know what day of the week it was, but it was the 28th um, 28th of April and her birthday was the 29th Um, and she, it was the morning and she was just really clingy she wouldn't stop crying 
um, I held her for most of the day, most of the morning. And I finally settled her um, at about 11 o'clock and she was in my arms and I was like, right, I'll put her down for a sleep. Like I just needed to put her down. Like my arms were sore. I needed to spend some time with Hazel. So I put her down. I knew that I'd be going in in about 20 or 30 minutes time to plug her feet in because she was on a regular feeding schedule. And I put her down and I, I came back out and I played with Hazel for a little while and she was so quiet. So I just assumed she was sleeping. Her baby monitor was on. I could see her um, sleeping. Um, I went in to give her her feed and she just looked different. Her, she was really pale. Um, she was really still. Um, it just didn't feel right. I unzipped her swaddle to plug in her feed and she just didn't even fidget. Usually if I was plugging in, she would fidget a little bit and then sort of just drift back off to sleep. But she didn't do it. Um, so I picked her up and she was floppy. She um, she wasn't there. Um I hadn't heard anything on the cam- like on the camera. I didn't hear her do anything. She was clammy and warm. Um, so at this point, I just yanked her out of the bed and I called the hospital and one of our beautiful nurses picked up and I said, Willow's not breathing. Um, and she said, bring her up. And I said, I remember just saying, I think, I think she's gone. And I was just crying. I I think she's gone. I think she's gone. And she just said, Emma, just get in the car and bring her up. Um, So I did, I got in the car. I just, I yelled at Hazel to get in the car and I just held her in my arms as I drove up to the hospital, which is probably about a kilometre away. Luckily my um, mother-in-law was working, um, that day so she works at the hospital so she met us out the front to take Hazel um and I just I just ran in clutching her she was still in her swaddle and I was clutching her and I just remember feeling as we were running that she was just like just bobbing around um and I was just screaming I just said help me just help me um so we went in and luckily there was a um, locum doctor there that day. Um, I think she was from Claire and we just walked in and the nurses just took her from me and just laid her down on the bed and they said, what happened? And I said, I, I just don't know. I don't know. And I just kept saying, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Just help her. Um and the doctor said to me, we're going to try everything we can, but it just doesn't, doesn't look good um, that she had no, she wasn't moving. There was no, there was nothing on any of the machines. And I just stood there um, and they worked on her. I don't know even for how long, maybe half an hour, 40 minutes. They did everything that you could possibly think that they could have done at the time. I remember they had the women's and children's on Skype 
and they just kept telling me what's going on and I just couldn't speak and I just I couldn't explain anything I, I, I didn't know um I didn't know what to do um so one of the nurses came up to me and she said does Dylan know you're here and I said no like I hadn't even thought to to call him nor do I think I could have spoken to him on the phone so that the the nurse called him and told him that he needed to get there as soon as possible um but yeah I just I felt like it wasn't actually even happening I was just in this room and there was so much happening around me and I was just still the nurses kept coming over and hugging me and I just I couldn't even react my body was just frozen um when finally they just said we can't do any more like she's gone and I remember Dylan walked in the door at that point and the doctor called time of death and I just fell to the floor and I was just crying um I don't know it's weird I've never cried <laughs> talking about it before. I don't know if I'm just in denial that that actually happened to us or I don't know, but yeah, it's like a yeah, it's is a really bizarre memory, a really awful memory. Like, like it's like an out of body experience, like it wasn't actually your yeah, experience. This is not happening. Like, yeah. This is yeah. not happening. That's all yeah. that just kept kept going on um and we just stood there and cried and cried and cried and the nurses left um, and, yeah, it just, yeah, it was an out-of-body experience but I can remember every bloody second of it. It's, yeah, it's awful, yeah. yeah. And that's the thing, that's you've lived that moment on yeah. your own, essentially yeah. on your own. Majority with, of it, yeah. And yeah. it's not something that you can ever talk to someone else about that was there with you or that has been through it with you because no. even Dylan can't associate with what you went through and the trauma that's obviously nine months ago now but the PTSD yeah. and the grief um that comes and is associated with going through something like that like it's yeah something that you don't ever ever get over no and I still I a lot of times I still don't think it's my story that I'm telling after all we'd been through and the amount of times that she'd been resuscitated she came back every time and to try and fathom the fact that she still now I just yeah I don't want to cry <laughs> um it's shit that this is my story that I have to tell and I still don't I cannot believe that she is not here and I I can't just walk down the hallway now and just go and see her in her cot it just is still beyond me but um yeah and obviously being like you said being in a small town and you know the people that were in that room yeah like you said are your friends and you yeah. you see them in the community and you yeah. have to drive past that hospital yeah. um so there's so many triggers I guess yeah. um that's you know that you're surrounded by them it can be the simplest of yep. things sometimes like sometimes I get in my car and I just 
like I'm there closing the door, reversing to drive her to the hospital. She's there in my arms and I'm in in that moment. So it can just be really small things sometimes as well that that trigger you. Yeah. And once you're in that state of mind, it's really bloody hard to get out of it. Yeah. And speaking of sort of um, your grief and your loss, um, since Willow's passing, you have started blogging and sharing um, your experience on social media, on your page, Our Warrior Willow, mm-hmm. um, which I think is so bloody brave and inspiring and it's bringing such a huge comfort um, to so many others. Um, in particular, you've talked about the difference between what others see of your grief compared to what you actually experience. For example, you've asked yourself, have I been too happy? Should I have smiled in that photo? Do I need to leave this party so I look more sad? Mm. Yeah, it's it's really hard. I suppose I'm only just learning how to navigate grief and I suppose that I've also learned that everyone around me is navigating how to help someone who is going through grief as well. So I can't be too hard on the people around me. Um, but it it is hard. I think there's a really big stigma around someone passing away. They have a funeral and then you're just sort of expected to just move on with life, um, which of course is very different for when you've lost a baby. Um, you're not only grieving the memories you've had with them, but you're grieving the future that you were supposed to have. Um, So um, Dylan and I were both very uh, upfront with our grief. Um, I think the week of her passing, we both went out to netball and football training. Um, We kept going to social events. we, I kept doing my shopping. I kept trying to just do normal things um, because I think I was numb. I just, I honestly, I just was numb. I didn't notice that that's actually had happened and we just kept going on with life. And people do grief so differently and there's nothing wrong with the way you grieve. Some people are quite happy just to stay home and they don't want to leave their house. Um, but I wanted to be around my friends I wanted to play the sport I loved in the club I loved where I was beautifully supported. Um, But what people don't see is what's behind that. Um, I've struggled a lot lately with comments like, um, you're doing so well. Um, You look so great. Like, um, oh, you're out. Um, We're at a New Year's Eve party the other day and someone said to me, oh, it's so nice to see you dancing. And I just, I remember just thinking, fuck, should I be dancing? Like there's all these people here, they're looking at me. They mean well and I know it comes from a really beautiful place and it's not from a harmful place. But for someone in my position, you take that as, do you want me to go and sit in the corner and cry or should I have not come to this party because because I've lost a child or should I be grieving more? Like, have I grieved right? Should I have locked myself in my house after she died and, and not done things? I, I second guess myself so much. Uh, 
Yeah. Yeah. And it is a lot of like we, you know, people talk a lot about not knowing what to say and never feeling like they can say the right thing. But it's also not ignoring, you know, like you said, ignoring what you've been through and ignoring that Willow was here. Yeah. Yeah. And I think not many people talk to me about her and not many people will, um, no one's asked me about the day she died or um, I never want her to be the elephant in the room. I want people to always speak her name, um, whether it makes me cry or not. Some days friends ask me something and I will cry and I can't get through a conversation. And other days I'm quite happy to speak about it and not cry. But either way, I want people to ask and someone who is grieving and someone who has lost someone wants wants to know that you're still thinking about that person who's no longer here and um, that they were a part of your life and just because they're not here doesn't mean that they can't be spoken about. Yeah. And Hazel, how has Hazel been with losing her sister so young? Oh, see, she's the part that gets me. I can speak all day about my own grief. Um, But she's three and she... uh, She's heartbroken. Um, She said to me yesterday, Mum, I'm depressed. And I just looked at her and I just said, like, do you even know what that means? Um, But she cries all the time. She asks for her sister all the time. She asks, did I drive her to heaven? And when's she coming back? And... I don't even know my own answers to those questions. So to have to try and sit there and explain it to a three-year-old over and over and over again multiple times a day is exhausting. It brings it back up every time. Um, And I think that's half of the reason why I've suppressed my grief so much is just for her sake. Like I'll often... um, be fine all day and then I'll lay in bed and I'll know that she's asleep and I'll just cry because I've just tried to be so strong for her because she's just such a sensitive little soul and she she always has been um and I just don't have the answers for her which is really hard um but she's been so beautiful the past few nights we I'm denied about what to do with Willow's ashes and we finally decided on getting a bear um, from Cami Bear. So it's a um, big plush soft pink teddy and inside it has a little velvet bag which holds a portion of Willow's ashes. And every night she's been going to sleep with her and I tuck them both in and she makes me, she says, Mum, you say I love you Hazel and I love you Willow. And then you tuck us in and you leave, okay? So I do that. And then this morning she was giving her whizzies. I just don't think she understands that this is permanent. I don't know what's better is them being naive to what's actually happened or them full well knowing what's happened. So 
I, yeah. So what sort of some of the main things that you've experienced over the last nine months? Um, I think initially it was denial um, uh, and then I just couldn't sleep. I um, just laid there awake at night crying or having flashbacks. Um, a beautiful friend of mine brought over some sleeping tablets for me to try Um which I started taking, um, but they make you so groggy. Um, you can never find one that that suits you. Um, so I've weaned off them quite a bit, um, but I have recently started struggling with really bad flashbacks um, and um, PTSD. I never thought that going through a death would be something that you would relate to PTSD. I always imagine PTSD as people who have been to the war or um, that sort of thing. But I can lay in bed some nights and I'm in that hospital room and I'm hot and I'm sweaty. I have physical pain. My chest aches. Um, and it can go on for hours and hours. Um, once for those who have had flashbacks, once you're in a flashback, it is really hard to get yourself out of it. Um, a lot of the time Dylan will probably be asleep. So it's not like someone's there Mm -hmm. to trigger you out of it either. And you're not there enough to make yourself come out of it. So it's, yeah, it's, it's really exhausting and, and draining because you wake up the next day feeling like it's just happened all over again. So, yeah, obviously we can't, um, we'll never be able to cover Willow's full story and um, everything about grief and loss and everything that that encompasses here tonight. We'll, we'll cover a lot more about that in our future episodes and we'll see what our audience sort of wants to hear. But um, I want to talk about... Um, how you've been busy raising awareness for premature birth and infant loss. Um, even since Willow's passing, you've been you've thrown yourself into um, some fundraisers. So most recently in November, you and I came together to support the charity Running for Premature Babies. We organised the Not So City to Bay Fun Run, which raised $75,000 alongside our amazing Premi community. Um, you've obviously got a real passion to give back um, and you've got a passion to run. <laughs> which not many people do. Well, I I don't. <laughs> it's dumb. It's really dumb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not normal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I um, first got in contact with running for, for premature babies uh, before Willow passed away. Um, I started reading Sophie's book, who is the founder of Running for Premature Babies, and it just got my mind sort of um ticking over so I actually registered to do the Premier Marathon Challenge um which I think is at 42 k's and you can either do it in a month a week a day or however you choose to do it so I started training for that and I planned to do it in a day um but unfortunately things just didn't unfold fast with Willow and um that kind of got put on the back burner a little bit and then after she passed away I I stayed on the beautiful Adelaide committee for running for premature babies and we started to form 
this event um, which ended up being dedicated to Willow, which um, was really beautiful. It was a beautiful morning for all those who were there, um, not only us, um, our families, but also nurses and doctors from Flinders. Um, it's something. It was something very special and it was something that I will never forget and I know Dylan will never forget it as well. Yeah, it was such a such a beautiful day, such yeah. a special way to honour Willow as well. Um, yeah. All right, so is there anything um, in particular you want others to know about infant loss, like especially maybe those who may have experienced it or haven't experienced it or how people can support someone in their grief? I think just remembering that grief is not linear, it's – um, it's turbulent, it's up and down. People will often talk a lot about five stages of grief and how you're supposed to go through them in order and then once one stage is done, then you proceed to the next one. And I call bullshit. It's it's not like that at all. You can have all five of those stages in one day. Um, I thought I was so abnormal for the things that I was experiencing and the way I was feeling, how I could be happy and then sad and then angry all in the same day. But I just think to know that you're not alone and people do experience similar journeys and in saying that everyone's journey can also be completely opposite and to never compare your grief journey to anybody else. Um, and I think I've really had to learn to cut out the blame Um Unfortunately, we still don't have a coroner's report to tell us exactly what happened. So I have really tried to learn to not put it on myself, um, which I know that any mum would do if that's the situation that they were put into. And I think for people supporting someone going through grief, I think just just show up, just just be there um, and not just for the months and weeks after the funeral, but for the period that comes after that when the dust sort of starts to settle. Um, never be afraid to speak of the person who was passed. I never want Willow to be an elephant in the room and I get more upset when people say nothing at all compared to if they say the wrong thing. Um, so just just speak, yeah. just be there if you reach out and you don't get much much back. Don't take it personally. Just try again another day. Um, but yeah, I think yeah. Yeah, when you go something uh, through something like that, um, you kind of feel like I'm assuming that you know in the first few months mm. or even you know the first month you get an outpouring of support and love and yeah. people wanting to help and yeah. at that stage you're kind of too thick in your grief and you can't really even yeah think about no you know yeah g- getting that help or yeah. um you know even talking to people and then yeah. after a few months when you finally you know probably need people to reach out is when everyone yeah. else sort of you feel like they're just getting on with their lives yeah. um yeah so yeah it is that whole um continuing to offer support and be there even yeah you know years absolutely yeah Yeah. definitely yeah yeah all right well I think that just about finishes us for today is there anything else you wanted to say no I think I'm done with my um my grilling (laughs) for the for the night um 
And like we said, um, if this has triggered you in any way, um, please seek help. Our inboxes are always open, um, especially mine for this episode. If you have any questions or you're going through something similar, please reach out. Um, I may not respond straight away, but I'm always here to help and try and support anyone else who's might be going through the same thing. But um, I'm looking forward to hearing about Amy in the next episode. That'll be a cracker. Yeah. She's got a story to tell. (laughs) I want to hear all about the beautiful Jack and James, Amy's sons, who have their own complexities of their own and she has been through a majorly turbulent journey herself um, and she's got so much to offer. So Mm. I'm certainly looking forward to picking your brain. Yeah. Have you got, have you got about three hours? (laughs) I mean. There's a lot. But no. we'll unpack it. I mean, that's that's the yeah. No, I, I guess don't. That's the beauty of this is it's it's not one episode, and we're going to be here long term, and we can yeah. unpack a lot of this over the coming coming episodes, and yeah, with our guests. Um, yeah, obviously, like you said, Emma, you're going to be a wealth of knowledge and um, comfort to a lot of lost families and um, people experiencing grief. So I think it's so yeah. brave that you've jumped on here today and shared your story so raw and openly yeah Yeah. we've got lots of content coming and we're so excited to share it with you all all right time to head off and have that gin now oh yeah all right (laughs) see you everybody